So praise the Lord, everyone. I had it in my notes where I was going to say you can be seated right now, but I see that everybody is already in tune with the Spirit. So praise God. So in just a moment, I'm going to be reading from a couple of portions of Scripture. I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And then we'll be turning to John chapter 13 and reading verses 34 and 35. So you can go on ahead and turn there. But while you're getting there, I want to be sure to give honor where honor is due. I want to give thanks and give honor to our pastor, Pastor Anthony and Sister Michelle. Absolutely. They're in family camp this week, so I'm glad that they're able to be down there. But I want to honor them because it is by their prayers, by their leadership, by their blessing to have the responsibility here tonight. And I don't take it lightly to have the responsibility of preaching from our pastor's pulpit. I'm honored for his trust and for his confidence. And I'm honored for their leadership. I appreciate them. And I think it would be fitting for us to just give them one big hand clap of appreciation. I also want to make sure that I give honor to my beautiful, amazing, talented, very passionate wife, the Holly Berry. Woo! She loves it when I do that. She's up in the media booth tonight making sure I stay on topic and don't get off my notes. So uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to move along before she mutes the mic on me. But I'm blessed to be able to be here and to do ministry with my wife. That is something that I cherish. I cherish that very much. And lastly, I want to honor everyone who is here tonight. You could be anywhere else on a Thursday night in the middle of summer, but you're here serving God. So would you give yourselves a hand clap of thanks? So Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, it's going to be up here in the King James Version. I'm going to be reading it from the New King James, which is basically the same, just a little fresher. And it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And then we turn to the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, verses 34 and 35. And John writes, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Church, I'm going to preach to us tonight, love like God loves. 
Would you pray with me? Lord, you are holy and you are mighty. We give you thanks for your presence here tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you're already doing in this service. We thank you for moving in our midst, oh God. We thank you for your glory and for your pleasure, Lord. We thank you for your creation. We thank you for our brothers and our sisters. We thank you for everyone here, oh God. We thank you for what you are getting ready to do in this service, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We glorify you. And we open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We're going to learn tonight to love like God loves. So relational evangelism. It's a concept that supposes that the best way to win someone's soul is through the heart. God's purpose for creating humanity was to engage in a relationship with his creation. This is the one central claim of scripture that separates Judaism and Christianity from every other religion in the world. In other creation narratives and other creation stories, the gods create humanity to be their servants to do various works to build idols and images of them their names are enshrined in temples and on idols and that's how they receive their glory our god however has written his name on our hearts he desires to love us and to interact with us he desires that relationship that we so desperately seek every single day of our lives and it's because of this that we are created to seek him in our lives. It's no coincidence that we desperately want those desires and want those relationships. We're created for it. Anybody who has ever suffered through the isolation and the pain and the despair of addiction would be able to tell you one simple thing. The opposite of addiction is community. We need relationship. We need it. There's a couple stories that I want to tell us tonight. These are true stories. They're real stories. These are stories that reveal truths to us because they involve the cries of souls and hearts who desperately needed God. These stories reveal to us the reality of how our thoughts, our beliefs, our attractions, and our affections influence our ability to love others how God loves them. First, I want to turn to the story of Cornelius. Cornelius, Scripture says, was a devout man. He was a holy man. He was a man who loved God, and he was a man who loved to serve people. He often gave alms to the poor. He was always there, ready and willing to lend a hand. He wanted to do his best to make a difference in the world. He was hungry. He was thirsty for righteousness. He wanted to love God. But Cornelius had one thing wrong with him. He was a Roman. He was a Gentile. Cornelius never would have been invited to a synagogue He never would have been invited over for Shabbat dinner. He never would have been invited to any 
Jews home whatsoever because they couldn't interact or socialize or fellowship with someone who would be as unclean as a Roman soldier. But nevertheless, he desired to know God, and God desired to know him. Acts chapter 10 tells the story of how God gave a vision to one of the apostles because he desired so desperately to have that relationship with Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16, God gives Peter a vision, and it says, The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry, and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and saw heaven opened up, and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Even in his vision, Peter was bragging. And the voice spoke to him again a second time and said, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Three times Peter had to have that vision. Three times God had to argue with Peter to tell him, look at what's in front of you, rise and eat. This is something that you've called unclean, but Peter, I've got a message for you. Peter, I've got a purpose for you. There's someone that I need you to meet that only you can impact. But Peter was so devoted to his history. He was devoted to his Jewish heritage. Peter was devoted to his kosher laws and everything that would have made Peter elite. So when Peter thought of anybody who might have been a Gentile, Peter couldn't bear the weight or the thought of sitting down and fellowshipping with that person. His thoughts were bound by history. His beliefs were bound by his religiosity and his culture. He was bound to the things that he had spent his entire life devoting himself to. Laws. Things that separated him from the people that God wanted to reach. So the only way God could get this through to Peter and challenge Peter's thoughts and his beliefs was to give him this vision when he himself was hungry. He was hungry, he was tired, and he thought he was doing the will of God. And so in his moment of vulnerability, God gives him this vision. And when Peter was hungry and he needed something himself, God shows him this vision and says, rise and eat, because you've got to go to the Gentiles. It took him three times. Eventually, Peter responds, and he does 
go to Cornelius. And it's there that Cornelius hears the gospel and receives salvation and is filled with the Spirit of God. But Peter's thoughts and his beliefs had to be challenged. I want to tell you another story. This is the story of a young lady. This is the story of someone who was made, just as Brother Christian said, she was a masterpiece. God created her, he knew her. She was fearfully and wonderfully made. She was made in God's image. She was made with a purpose. She was born into a holy family, a royal family. She was born the daughter of a king, a great and mighty king, a king that had everything in the world. Her father was King David. And the story of Tamar is a story that it breaks my heart. Pastor Mitch, it makes me angry when I read the story of Tamar. Because Tamar was a daughter of the king. She was a daughter of the king. And all Tamar wanted was to be loved as she was a daughter of the king. And I have no doubt that Tamar's brothers loved her. I have no doubt that Tamar's father loved her. But fate did not bode well for this young lady. Because you see, she was gifted. She was young and she was beautiful. She was attractive. No doubt people who were around her liked to be around her. They liked her company. But as scripture tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 13, her own brother the one who was supposed to love her unconditionally, he fell to sin. And in 2 Samuel 13, verse 4, the second half of it, through verse 11, it reads, Amnon said to his friend, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So his friend Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to him, Amnon said to the king, please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to his daughter Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar was obedient to her father. She was obedient to the man of God in her life. She was doing everything she knew to do. Her desire was to serve. Her desire was to love. And when she got to her brother Amnon's house, 
she made the cakes in his sight, and she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, have everyone go out of here. And they all went out. Then Amnon said to his sister Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And again, Tamar was simply obedient, simply desiring to serve, simply desiring to be a service to her family, to the men of the kingdom, to the men that she trusted, to the men that she loved. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. And when she had brought them to him, he took hold of her and he said, Come, lie with me, my sister. And then in verse 19, Then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. Church, I can't imagine what it was like for Tamar in that moment. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in a place where you were simply doing what you knew to do, simply desiring to serve, to love, to give of yourself, to, to sacrifice your time for what you believe to be the kingdom. And to be taken advantage of so heartlessly. Church, the love of God is pure. It's holy. But nevertheless, we hear countless stories of situations of young women and young men just like Tamar. Of young people, of of people of any age really that are just seeking to love God and seeking to be of service to the community, to the church, to the kingdom, only to be looked at for what you have, to be taken advantage of, to be abused, to be used in the confines of a place that you thought was holy. only to be left broken. Church, my heart breaks tonight because I've encountered so many people who share a very similar story to the story of Tamar. I've talked to people who have said that they could never enter into a church again because of what was done to them by people that they trusted. I've talked to people who hear what I do as a counselor, as a counselor in the church, as a minister, and I can watch as their face loses all life for the fear of what was done to them and the trauma they endured. 
I have no doubt that some are asking, why in the world is he teaching this tonight? Why is he preaching this? It's because we're in this season of relational evangelism. And I know for a fact that there are people in this church that are praying to God, God, help me to love people the way you love them. God, help me to see people the way you see them. But the only way this works is with the word of caution. Because, you see, when you start praying prayers like that, you begin to see people in a much more beautiful way. You see people that are created in the image of God. And when God is the most beautiful thing in the world, when God is the most beautiful, the most perfect, and we see that we are created in his image, then the people he created become the most beautiful people you've ever seen. They become the most talented people you've ever seen. And if our guard isn't up, we'll stop and we'll look on the outward appearance. And I've seen this happen so many times where someone will look on the outward appearance and they begin to think, God put this person in my life for a reason. And they never stop and consider. They never stop and consider. They get gripped by their emotions. They get gripped by their attraction and their affection. And they never stop to consider. That what they're seeing is beautiful because it's in the image of God. It's beautiful because it's in the image of God, not for our use. We're attracted to it because the gifts, of call, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And God has desired to use every single one of us for a purpose that only we can fulfill. But if we look at the person and we're just bound by our attraction to that purpose, that gifting, that calling, that anointing, we can think and we can assume that that person was put there for our benefit. This is why Jesus told the disciples that certain things can only go out by prayer and by fasting. You see, if we're going to do this relational evangelism thing right, if we're going to build communities and invite people into our lives and be of use to the people in our neighborhoods, if we're going to be the hands and feet of God, our carnality has got to be crucified. It's got to be crucified. Paul wrestled with his humanity. He wrestled with it, and he looked at himself, and he said, in Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8, he said, everything I want to do, I end up not doing. Everything I don't want to do, I end up doing. Paul realized his humanity. He realized that he wasn't perfect. He realized that even though he was the Apostle Paul, building churches everywhere. He wasn't perfect. 
and Paul himself in scripture says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He said of himself, what wretched man am I? Paul recognized his humanity. And never once does Paul present himself to be perfect. Never once does he do it. Church, the people in this world, they don't need us to be perfect. They don't need us to be perfect at all because the moment we try to present ourselves as perfect and holy and righteous and all put together is the moment we will fail because at the end of the day, until Christ comes back, we're human. And as long as we are human, we are limited by our own carnality. We're limited. But there's a world out there that needs the hand and feet of Jesus. And we have to go to them. So I would invite you all, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. We have to crucify our flesh. We have to. We have to see people the way God sees them. And we have to be able to handle it. Paul said in another place, he said, be careful when you think you stand. Lest you fall. Mahatma Gandhi was credited at one point for saying to Christians, I love your Christ, but I don't like your Christian. So many people have, in, have had an encounter with God. They've been to a service. They've been in a place where they encountered the beauty and the majesty and the power of God. They've come from broken homes and broken families. They've desired to find a place where they can find acceptance, where they can be loved unconditionally, where they can be safe, where they can be protected. Only to come into the church and find a line of people seeking to use them. I was counseling I was counseling a young lady in St. Louis before I moved up here. And she said something to me that really convicted me. I noticed that she had a, a pattern of of unhealthy relationships and and not a single one was attending her church or any other church in the area. Not a single one had anything that looked like a relationship with God. And she told me something. She said, at least the guys in my school don't fake who they are. And they're honest when they tell me what they want. 
But when I went to the church, everybody just acted like they were holy. But behind closed doors, they asked me the same things that the men in the world are asking me. And her question was, how can I trust the men who claim to be holy when that's what I receive? Church, there are people who go through decades of pain and torment and will never be willing to grace the doors of a church because of the experiences that they had the last time they were there. But I don't question why God has desired to call this church and our campuses to the season of relational evangelism. I believe that God has been rising up a church and a people that are willing to engage in right relationships with people. I believe that God has been lifting up this church and instilling certain things in us because every single service for the last month has included something about loving people and sacrificing yourself. It's been in every service. It's been in every ministry training session. It's been in the pastor's class, how to sacrifice yourself and to love people. I believe that we are a people who are answering the call of God, who are willing to lay down our flesh, to lay down our desires, and to pursue God, and to pursue holiness, and to love these people like they need to be loved. But church, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. When you start to encounter people in your community groups, when you start to encounter people at your jobs, when you start to encounter people in the park, on the baseball field, on the softball field, when you're taking your kids out, when you're going to the coffee shop, these people are going to see you and they're going to have an encounter with God. How will we show God to them? On the flip side of this, we've been on the receiving end of going and teaching a Bible study and you're sacrificing your own time, and you're going and you're sitting in someone's home because you love them the way God loves them. And you're doing these Bible studies, and then all of a sudden, the text messages and the phone calls that you're receiving start going a little bit different. At one point, they were asking you about your relationship with God, and they were asking you about Scripture, and they were asking you about biblical advice and counsel. And those messages turned to, 
You're such a good listener. You make me feel so safe. You make me feel beautiful. This happens because the enemy would do everything in his power to disrupt what God is doing. And when something is beautiful and holy to God, he will intervene. And so in those moments when we're doing this relational evangelism and we're building relationships, be careful when you think you stand. Because when those messages come and those conversations happen, what God will you reveal to those people? What boundaries will you have up in your life? Will you be ready to say no? When Paul wrote his letters to the church of Corinth, I'm always amazed and I'm just astounded by the fact that the letters to the church in Corinthians, in Corinth, those letters were two churches. And Paul referenced so many people who were bound by sexual immorality. These were the people in the churches. These were the people who were supposed to be representing God to their community. And scripture doesn't hide the fact that they were imperfect. What kind of God and what kind of image of God were the Corinthians showing to their community? But it's also in the letter to Corinth that Paul wrote these words. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul wrote, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or with wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Church, my prayer for every single community group, my prayer for every single interaction that you have with a friend, with a colleague, with a person in the library, with a person in the coffee shop, in the restaurant that you're sitting down in. When you say something and they have an encounter with God, remember the words of Paul. You didn't say that out of lofty words of man's wisdom but you spoke to them in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. Because church, these friends, these colleagues, these clients, these workers, 
these people, they may be looking at us, but they don't need to see us. They need to see God. They need to see God. Paul declared of himself. He took it personal what the psalmist wrote. I don't have it here, but I think it's in Psalm 37. Brother Brown was here not too long ago, and he, and he preached this message, and, and this word, it gripped me, and it grips me right now. But Brother Brown, he preached, Mark the perfect man, and follow him. And that's a scary claim to accept that and to own that. But Paul did it. The same Paul that admitted in his letters that he wasn't perfect. The same Paul that acknowledged and called himself the chiefest of all sinners. That same Paul told his audience, follow me. As I follow Christ. Church, when we're faced with our own humanity. And we feel the power of God and the presence of God leading us to do something. Our only option can be. Follow me. As I follow Christ. We're the example we're the image of God in the world. We're the mission of God in the world. But I've got to say, when I read those words, follow me as I follow Christ. And I stand in front of every person on the street. And I realize my own humanity and I'm reminded of every single one of my shortcomings. And every mistake that I've made. And I still try to declare to those people that I see. You can trust me. I'm going to be there for you. Follow me. Because I'm going to follow him. But Brother Tap, there's a weight that comes with that. And that weight is heavy wood. Soaked in blood. Pierced with nails. And it's full of sacrifice. So when I'm with my clients and I'm with my patients and I'm trying to be some sort of an example for them, I feel the weight of that cross and I'm reminded of my own humanity. And sometimes, Pastor Mitch, that cross gets heavy. 
it gets heavy and I want to lay it down and I want to say, you know what, someone else can pick this up. But I reminded of that moment when I accepted the call of God. When I accepted that call, when I made that vow to God, when I made that vow to my wife, I accepted that I would take that cross and I'd carry it every day. No matter how heavy it gets, no matter how many splinters end up in my neck and in my shoulder, All the skin can be just torn off of my body. And I've got to carry that cross. Because this world needs to be able to see somebody who's going to be willing to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not perfect. And I'm going to make mistakes. And I'm going to stumble. But church, even when Jesus stumbled with the cross. Brother Tap, you want to help me out here? Even when Jesus himself stumbled with the cross. A brother came up beside him and helped him pick it up. And they carried that cross together. They carried that cross together. Church, we can stand. I'm, I'm closing. But I just haven't been able to escape the weight of what I feel God has commanded of me. And the question and the invitation that I believe God has required of me to give tonight. Paul is such a solid example because he never claimed he was perfect. He said of himself, I don't count myself to have attained anything. But forgetting that which is behind me, I push onward toward the mark of the higher calling of Christ. And Paul was pretty clear on how he was able to do that. Paul tells us, I die daily. It's easy to say and to claim that I die daily when life is easy and I'm just getting up and playing my audio Bible and putting on clean clothes and going to work at a job that I love and, and challenges don't come up. But we tend to romanticize that line of Paul and we forget that what Paul is saying is I die. I crucify 
my flesh. I crucify myself. That means every attraction, every desire, every want, everything I covet. No matter how bad it hurts, no matter how uncomfortable it feels, I let it die. God is bringing back all these scriptures that I didn't even get a chance to put in my notes, but they're so they're so necessary. And Paul is a perfect image of this. I just can't get away from it. You see, Paul said, it's so clear, he said, I bring my body under subjection. Lest when I preach to others, I myself will be made a fool. When we have those conversations with our neighbors, when we have those conversations with our friends, don't you dare think you're just having a simple conversation. You're preaching. You're preaching. Everywhere we go, everything we do, every person we encounter, you're preaching a message. Somebody standing up here is only doing it once or twice a week. But when we leave, we're preaching all day, every day, everywhere we go, to every person we encounter, we're preaching. So who's willing to take up that cross? Who's willing to go to the side of Jesus when he stumbles and it's messy and he's bleeding but he's carrying that cross to Calvary who's willing to pick it up and to be willing to let your flesh die to let your desires die so that when you preach to others, you won't be made a fool. These altars are open. And if you're coming up here, don't forget your cross.